0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible Study. Glad you're here. Take a few moments to pray, ask God's blessing on our time, and then uh, see what is on in store for us from what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So uh, let's pray, Father. Thanks for another night, another time, another opportunity to meet, to gather. In the name of Jesus, we have gathered to hear from You. May I ask that You would speak. May I ask God that we would be open and ready to receive what You want to say. God, I'd ask that we would lay down uh, anything that we would have built around us to protect us, uh, but to be open and vulnerable to you tonight, uh, really to lay down our defenses and to say, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you have your way? Would you challenge us? God, would you begin you to, to speak directly in our spirit tonight? i have to ask you, God, that... We would allow for your Holy Spirit to move in us, allow for your Holy Spirit to speak to us, allow for your Holy Spirit to initiate change, and uh, something different tonight. I have to ask you, God, that we would be open and that we would receive all that you have for us. So, we welcome you. Uh, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you're here I pray that we would recognize your presence tonight, right here in our midst, and we just pray, God, that you'd have your way, and be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, and they would be available on the tables, or if you brought one with you, can open up to the book of Micah. Micah, Chapter 3. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle. And you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. So we're looking for Micah chapter 3, Micah chapter 3, and verse 8. And when you get there, if someone could read that, that would be helpful. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, The prophet speaking here, uh, Micah, is uh, speaking about himself, and he's making a declaration. And I'm going to start this off by making a declaration. And after I say this, I want you to think about it, and then maybe later on tonight or tomorrow, I want you to take a look around and see if this might be true. Alright, so I'm going to make a declaration to you, and this is it. People who deceive others peddle in confusion. I'll say that again. People who deceive others peddle in confusion. And see if you might see that to be true. And see if you might see and look around to see where you see people peddling in confusion. Where they are sowing and they are causing confusion. And as you see that, I want you to really bear in mind that it's people who are in the process of and in the business of deceiving people that peddle in confusion. They use it to their advantage. Now, where might that come in handy? And think about that for a second. I think it comes in handy when... You're confused. Okay. And I think it comes in handy when you're in the midst of confusion. I think it comes in handy when you're watching confusing situations going on around you, whether it be personally or whether it be in in some other fashion, nationally, regionally, worldwide. When you begin to see confusion... It's helpful, I think, sometimes to realize that the reason and one of the main reasons that people peddle in confusion is to deceive you. The devil is no exception to that. He is the author of this. That whenever there is confusion, it's usually in an attempt to bring deception into your life. Now, you've heard me talk about this quite a bit, where I talk about the idea of, did God really say... That whole phrase about, did God really say, is meant to cause confusion. It's meant to confuse a direct word that you may have received from God to give you direction and to give you some kind of insight or to give you some kind of a way and path forward in your life. But to begin this process of saying, did God really say, well, that's the peddling of confusion in your life. In other words, it's asking a question that doesn't really need to be asked. You've already come to the conclusion that God said that. You've already come to the conclusion that God's given you that direction. You've already come to the conclusion that God has said, this is the path that I have for you. So, really, it's an unnecessary question. The only reason that question is asked, and and this would be really important if you could get this, the only reason that question is asked is to cause confusion. And the only reason that confusion is being brought up in your life, is to deceive you into disobedience. So, I hope that's helpful. And I hope that you can really think about that a little bit and and really consider that there are situations in your life that you allow for, of confusion, that you need to begin to disallow. That you need to begin to fight. That you need to begin to stop before they get started. Then instead of looking at those, those kind of moments in your life, oh, did God really say, you need to shut that down. You need to shut that mess down. You need to shut that noise down. Because what that does is it begins a process of confusion in your mind, which leads you to deception and disobedience. Do you hear me? Okay. So, I want to start off by saying that. Because I'm not sure what it has to do with anything else I'm about to say. But I definitely wanted to start off with that. Because that was something I, and it'll come up again. It's actually part of what I'm talking about, but not directly. And I I wanted to be able to make a really direct statement to you so that you understand it. Because one of the things I've found out over the years is uh, I I tend not to make a lot of direct statements. I figure people just hear what I'm saying and they can kind of apply that themselves. Well, I'm wrong. Um, People need to hear direct statements sometimes. And while I still communicate a lot in in indirect fashion, I, I realize that sometimes direct statements need to be made. Now, whether or not they have any effect, I can't answer that. Whether or not you'll make any change in your life, I can't answer that. Whether or not you even heard what I said just then, I have no idea. But I said it, and I might say it again, but I, I wanted you to hear it at least once. And and I want to encourage you toward being a people that, okay, I'm a person of resolution in my life. In other words, I'm going to resolve to hear God and just do that. And not allow for confusion to be sown in my own mind, confusion to be sown in my own life. And it's time to stop that. And you have the power to stop that in your own life. You have the power to do that. If you choose to. And I want to encourage you to choose stopping that. Difficulties will come. They just come. And Micah understood that. And we're in Micah chapter 3 here, and you see him making declarations of truth about himself. There's a reason he's doing that. And you can read back in Micah, and you can see why he's doing it, because there's things that happen to Micah. And there's difficulties that arise, and there's difficulties in in the land that he's prophesying to, and there's difficulties among the leadership, and there's difficulties... Uh, with the prophet himself, and you see these difficulties, and he's brought to a place in his life where he needs to make some declarations. Not only to the people around him to say, well, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, but he's making these declarations also to himself, saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing. And sometimes, we need to do that. David in the Psalms, he talked about how we should encourage ourselves in the Lord. Well, that's because sometimes there's nobody else to do it. And that's okay. And we reach those points in our life where there may be things that God tells us to do that we're the only ones that really understand what He's told us to do. And in those situations, you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. And Micah, as a prophet, and this is true a lot with prophets, that there really wasn't anybody else around to encourage them. You think about Elijah. Who was encouraging Elijah? I mean, there were four hundred prophets of Baal. There was a king and a queen that hated him. There were all kinds of people who wanted nothing to do with him. There was nobody really to encourage Elijah, at least not at the beginning. When he first came out of the land of Tishbe, all right, in Gilead, he he was by himself when he first confronted the king. There wasn't a lot of people to really encourage him. So. He encouraged, he had to, if anybody's going to do it, encourage himself. And so we can't always count on somebody else. I can imagine on the mission field, say, you know, Tim in Northern Ireland. Who's going to encourage Tim in Northern Ireland? Who understands what he's doing there? Seriously. I mean, he's going to have to encourage himself because there's really nobody really to understand that. And anybody that's been overseas and you've been by yourself, uh, you, you would know that. Sarah would know that. It, where She's been in Pakistan. Who in Pakistan going to understand what Sarah's doing in Pakistan? They don't know what she's doing there. And we don't really have any expectation they're going to understand what she's doing there. We don't really have any expectation they're going to understand what Tim's doing where he's at. We don't have any expectation they're going to understand what, what Tom and Lori are doing or, or what Aaron's doing or what any of the people are doing when they're overseas. We they, they, it's, it's foreign. It's a different idea. And and so, wherever you are and wherever you find yourself, there's going to be those times that people are not going to understand. And it may be most of the time that people don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. For what purpose. And so we encourage ourselves. Micah needed to encourage himself. But he understood something that I think that we need to understand. And that is truth. Real truth, like wholesome truth, like the real deal truth, rarely reaches the ears of those that are in authority. In other words, like you think about people in authority, governmental authority, or or whatever kind of authority you want to think of, real wholesome truth rarely reaches their ears. Most of the time, people in authority are reactive. Because they're... Their job is that they are hearing mostly what's wrong and trying to fix it or trying to pacify it or whatever they are involved in at that time. And they have their reasons and they have the things that they do. And I'm not really going to talk about, you know, whatever that is. All I'm trying to say is, is that they hear a lot of complaints. They hear a lot of negative. They hear a lot of what's wrong they hear a lot of what could be wrong. They hear a lot of what's going wrong. And, and that's what reaches their ears. The issue with that is is that when that's all you hear, you get a warped perspective of what reality is. You get a warped perspective of how to proceed forward. You get a warped perspective of how to live. And there's a real problem with that. There's a real problem when You're in charge of something, and all you're doing is reacting to negative things instead of moving forward in any kind of positive fashion. Well, part of the role of the prophet in the Old Testament was to speak truth, like real truth to people, truth to people in authority, truth to people that were in in rulership, whether it had been over the temple or whether it was in, in the courtyard of the king, whoever it was, that they were to speak that kind of truth over people. And it wouldn't just always be some negative thing, but sometimes it would be a positive truth to say this is the direction to move in or this would be the direction that, that God has for you or this is the prosperity that God wants to bring or this is the blessing that God is bringing. Now, other times it was corrective and it would say, okay, well, if you'll correct this, then this is what awaits on the other side. But all of that is truth. It's not conjecture. It's not saying, oh, this horrible thing could happen. It's real truth. It's like, well, this is what God says. This is what God says things look like. This is what God says things are. This is what God says things can be. If you listen and you do what He says, this is how it's going to be. And so the prophet, part of his role is to speak truth. Even if it's not something that the person wants to hear, truth is still truth. In other words, it might be, okay, well, you're doing A, B, and C right, but you need to correct D and E. Alright, well, A, B, and C are going great. D and E needs to be corrected. You may not want to hear that. You may want to hear A, B, C, D, and E are all great, but it's not true. And so there's some something that needs to be corrected, something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be brought about. And so it takes someone to be willing to stand up and to do that. To see the importance of it. To see the, the role that God... Prophet has in bringing truth, even if it's not popular. And so as you're reading the declarations of Micah here, he starts off by talking about how the Spirit of God fills him. And so he's declaring his equipping, that he's been filled with the prophetic word, and, and he doesn't take credit for it. He doesn't like, try to promote himself here. He talks about God's Spirit. He talks about God. He talks about what God has provided for him and what God has given him. And so in this equipping, what God is saying, He's saying, I'm going to fill you with my Spirit. Now, meaning I'm going to fill you with my prophetic Word. Now, His Spirit could also be talking about not just an equipping of his prophetic word, but it could also be talking about boldness, it could be talking about courage, it could be talking about a lot of different things. Filling him with the Spirit of God could be talking about gifts, could be talking about a lot of things, anointing. But filling him with the Spirit, he's making that declaration. He's been filled with the Spirit he had been equipped. And part of the prophetic word, and and maybe sometimes we need to have a definition of the prophetic word in us so that we operate in it better. But maybe every now and then you should make a declaration that you've been filled with God's Spirit and that you've been equipped. Maybe you should make a declaration every now and then that you've been filled with the prophetic word. Because most of you have. Maybe you should make a declaration every now and then about the other equipping that God has given you and recognize it, it's from God, recognizing it's by His Spirit, recognizing He's the one that fills you, and really taking inventory of what that means in your life, how He's filled you, and what that looks like practically, how that manifests through your life. because it manifests. So Micah, part of the prophetic word that, that Micah was filled with and this is part of the prophetic word that you've been filled with, is part of what it does, it helps to discern truth from error. Because some things are wrong. Some things are right. Some things are true. Some things are false. Some things are according to what God says. Some things are not. And we live in a time where those things are really, really, really mixed up. And I think you understand what I mean by that. I think you understand what I mean when I say truth and error and how those things have been turned upside down. The prophetic word in you discerns and brings a discernment into your own spirit between that which is true and that which is error. That which is true, that which is false. And whether or not that is popular, unpopular, or whatever it is, the bottom line is is that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is the one who makes that determination. Now, whether or not the rest of the world agrees with it, I can't answer that. There are plenty of times in the Bible the rest of the world didn't agree with it. Whether they do agree with it, there are times in the Bible where they did agree with it. But I want you to think about those times in in the Old Testament in particular, even in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament in particular, where everybody disagreed with the Word of God. And I think about the time of Noah. When the time of Noah, when God raised up Noah. Now remember, this is in the first six chapters of the Bible, right? Right? And we don't know how long a time period that was. How many years, how many thousands of years that that was, those first six chapters took place. We don't have any idea. But what I want you to see in those chapters, you got to the time of Noah, you got to the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, and it says the inclination of man's heart was to do evil, how much of the time do you remember? All the time. Yeah. So the inclination of man's heart in, in Genesis Genesis chapter 6, way back then, was to do evil all the time. There was one guy in his family that rose up in truth to everybody else's error. The whole world. The entire world. And I'm emphasizing this because I want you to understand this. It wasn't just a few people. It wasn't just a majority. It wasn't just a a loud minority. It was the whole world that thought he was wrong. He had one reason to believe he was right, and that was because that was God's Word in him. That was it. That's all he had. And he and his family stood against the whole world. Noah did. Built a boat. Why? Because God was going to flood the earth. They hadn't even seen rain. What are you building a boat for? You're in the middle of the land. How's water going to get there? I mean, you can't even talk about, oh, it might rain a lot and flood. They didn't know they hadn't seen rain. So how are you going to do that? You're going to build a boat. Crazy. All right. Nobody else building a boat, are they? Nope. He is. And then he starts doing all these weird things, animals, whatever, you know, getting ready. Gets everything ready and all that, but you think about it. Like he's the only one. He's the only one. There's nobody. He couldn't go to somebody else and say, "Hey, hey, you know, what do you think about this? I mean, what kind of animals are you getting?" Now there was nobody to ask. What are you going to use for feed for those ox? I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody understood it. Nobody had any idea what he was doing. He had to encourage himself. See, the Spirit of God brought truth to him. And he had to stand on that truth. You see, he didn't have any room listen, he didn't have any room to be confused, did he? You follow me? Did God really say? He'd have never done it. Cause I mean there's, there's you know, there's all the people in the whole world saying, No, God didn't really say. He had one reason to believe God said that, because he heard him. Everybody else on the whole face of the earth telling him he's crazy. And so you let that confusion begin to be sown. You let your knowing, you let that confusion begin to be sown in your mind. You're never going to build an ark. You're never going to do anything. Ever. He had to know. He had to be filled with God's Spirit. He had to know. And he had to act on what he knew. It's the only way that was going to happen. And there's plenty of, of people that you see through the scriptures that that they just had to know. They had to be filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, Elijah on Mount Carmel, 400 prophets of Baal, you got the the people of Israel standing around watching it like it's some kind of a spectacle. Elijah had to know. There wasn't any, oh, maybe. There wasn't any confusion in him. He didn't allow for the confusion in him. It had to be in that moment, on that day, for that purpose and that reason, the Spirit of God needed to rise of him. He had the truth and the rest of them were in error and he knew it. And so that's how he was living. That's how he was living. He was declaring that. He was living that out. And so part of the work of the Spirit of God in you is to help you to give you truth. And for you to see between the difference between truth and error in your generation. There should be, for God's people, a contrast in your heart and in your mind between truth and error. And it should be something that the Spirit of God reveals to you. It's His discernment. The other thing that the Spirit of God does in you, the prophetic word does in you, not only does it it give you truth from error, but it also begins to help you define in your life times and seasons. In other words, there are times and there are seasons that are going on around you, and God's word, that prophetic word in you, helps you to be able to see that time and to see that season for what it is. That we're not mixed up in anything. We're not confused about what's going on around us. But we're also not living in some weird mixed up moment all the time either. That there are defined times that God has defined. There are defined times that have been defined by His Word, that have been defined by the prophetic Word. There are seasons that God has defined. And there are seasons that God has said, this is the season for this. This is the season for that. This is the time for this. This is the end of this time. This is the beginning of that time. This season has just begun. That season is ending. But to have that kind of a flow and that kind of an understanding of the prophetic word in us, to be able to live in peace within the times and the seasons which are going on around us. They happen. They happen. Difficulties come. Difficulties come, and they're not all bad. Suffering isn't all bad. Difficulties are not all bad. Hard times are not all bad. You know, you look at, and, and it's arguable, I guess, but you know, I grew up. With generation that was affected and raised through, uh, as, as children, they were uh, brought up in the Great Depression, the aftermath of the Great Depression, the generation that went to war in World War II. I tell you what, those difficulties and those hard times, they really brought forth a generation of people that were some of the toughest people that we've ever had. It did something good to us and for us alright. The thing that you can't do, and this is what I'm, gonna, I'm trying to encourage you tonight, you can't get swept away by it. You can't just get swept away by the lies. You can't get just swept away by the deception. You can't get swept away by the confusion. You can't get swept away by the fear. But we've been given tools and we've been equipped As a prophetic people, we've been filled with a prophetic word that gives us the tools we need to see truth from error. The the things that we need to see times and seasons that we're in to find peace and rest and, and to not be afraid because there's no reason to be afraid. The prophetic is more than just speaking over people. The prophetic is more than just just, just having a word or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or, or having some kind of a vision over someone's life. The prophetic speaks deeper than that into us and that, that prophetic anointing that God gives us gives us a, a better understanding of where we are and when we are and who we are. And we need to learn to draw on that. We need to learn to find rest in that. We need to learn to find our peace in that too. I mean you think about circumstances good, bad, favorable, adverse. The the point I'm trying to make is that we've been equipped for all of those circumstances. Circumstance isn't the issue. We only think it is. And I can't tell you how many times in my life where, you know, it seems like it, the best of circumstances was coming, where whether it was some, the right person was in charge or I got a new boss and they liked me a lot or whatever it was and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. As soon as they get that job or as soon as they get into power, that's going to be awesome and it turned out terrible because it, it's hard to tell that just from the physical. It's hard to tell that just from the stuff going on around us. And the real truth of it is is that no matter what the circumstance good, bad, favorable, adverse we've been equipped for all of them, all of them, every single one of them. That's part of the prophetic equipping that, that, that takes place around us. You see, adverse circumstances, one of the advantages of adverse circumstances. Now this is kinda of important if you can hear it. One of the one of the advantages of an adverse circumstance is that it silences the false prophet. See the false prophet operates at their best, at their peak in good times. Cause that's what everybody wants to hear. Yeah, baby it's you know, it makes more money. Alright, you're gonna do this, there's gonna be this, or more blood, whatever. Adverse circumstances silence the false prophet. Let's do. And and what happens is is that it's in adverse circumstances where you need a true visionary. It's an adverse circumstance where you need somebody that really sees something for what it really is, so they can begin to speak into it. And they can begin to speak through it. And so I believe God raises up prophets, and He raises up, puts His Word into people, and they shine even more during those times that are bad or adverse. Because the other voices, the false prophet, the other voices, the the pretenders, the other voices that are speaking to the itching ears, the other voices that are speaking the stuff that people want to hear, the words of flattery and all the rest of that stuff, they become silenced. During those times, and you really begin to hear the voice of God being spoken through people that are yielded, open, and bold enough to do it. That's what you begin to hear. Somebody, look at uh, Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four. I need somebody read verse forty-nine. Yeah. You think Jesus knew something was coming? Good times, bad times. Bad times. <laughs> All right, that's what's coming. And so he, he told them, he's like, well, why don't you guys just wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit, get some power in you. All right? Just wait here. Because you think about after his crucifixion and and he was raised from the dead, He found them locked away in a room scared. John chapter 20. Look it up. They were in the room. They were scared. And he knew they needed power. They were so scared and so upset and so confused. In John chapter 20, they were arguing amongst themselves. And he had to come and he brought peace to them first. It's like, okay, now wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you get some power. Then, you'll be ready for whatever happens. Okay, same in uh, Acts 1-8. Somebody read that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes at you, and you will be my witness in the Jerusalem and in all all right, thanks. And so what do you see there in those circumstances? You see the New Testament, Jesus speaking over his people, and what is he saying to them? Say you need to wait, get the power, then you'll be equipped, and then you'll go. Now, he doesn't say you'll go when everything is going your way. He doesn't say you'll go when everybody loves you. He doesn't say you'll go when everybody agrees with you. He doesn't say you'll go when everything's favorable. He doesn't say you'll go whenever everybody thinks you're the best. (laughs) Nothing like that. He just says you're going to go after you get the power and the equipping. Because the power and the equipping negate the circumstance. We don't need to know the circumstance. That's the point. The circumstance is negated by the power and the equipping that we receive. And so favorable, unfavorable, who cares? God's bigger than favorable or unfavorable. God's bigger than good and bad and all the rest of that kind of stuff. God, His equipping, equips us to do His will, to speak His word regardless of the circumstance that we find ourselves in. There's another point to this and that's this, and that those of us, if we're willing to act honestly, in other words, we're just being true. Like honest. And what do I mean by honest? You know, like honest abe, we never tell a lie. No, that's not, you know, George Washington or something. No. What I'm trying to get at is that what what I'm trying to to be honest is to be genuine. In in this sense. And so, if we're going to act genuinely, like this is who we really are, this is God in us, this is God through us, this is who we are, and we go about it in some kind of a genuine way, those who act honestly or genuinely may act boldly. And and boldly is key. If we're going to really speak God's Word. Second thing that Micah talks about, another proclamation. So he makes a proclamation. He says, "The Spirit of God fills me," and he declares his equipping through the Spirit of God filling him. So the prophetic word; he's being filled with the prophetic word. Next thing he says is that God makes him brave. That, that was the next part of it. He, he makes a declaration. He says, "Okay, God's Spirit fills me. He fills me with his prophetic word. I'm equipped." Now, I'm going to declare this. God makes me brave. And he's drawn a direct contrast with the false prophets that were in the land at the time that he was prophesying. Because there were false prophets. And they were there and they were saying certain things. They were saying certain things that people wanted to hear. Certain flattery, certain uh, itching ears kind of things, Certain things everybody wanted to hear, wanted to know, and all of that. And so... There he was in the midst of all of that. And what he was doing, he was drawing a contrast. He was saying, well, God makes me brave. Brave in what way? Brave to speak the truth. Brave to stand for what I know and what I believe. Brave to stand out from the crowd when everyone wants to hear what the crowd has to say. God makes me brave. He gives me a fearlessness. Because see the other prophets that that were there, they were speaking things people wanted to hear, but they were filled with a lying spirit. And the idea is that he's saying these these prophets are empty, but I'm full. Because the the lying spirit and and this this, this itching ears and this flattery and all the rest of the stuff that 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 these prophets were speaking is like a vapor. It had no substance to it. It had nothing that really mattered. It had nothing that was really going to last. And what he was saying was gonna last. It was going to come to pass. And that's that idea, it's like talk is cheap unless God's speaking. And then it's creative. Talk is cheap because people say stuff all the time and, you know, it doesn't ever happen and no one holds them accountable, and so nobody even knows. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's cheap. But when God speaks something, it comes to pass. It's creative by its very nature. The Bible describes that as, as God's Word, once it's spoken out, it doesn't return void. In other words, there's something created, there's something made by His Word going forth. And so talk is no longer cheap once God begins to speak. Well, that's part of our gift is the prophetic word through us is creative by nature. And and there's been distinct times in my life where uh, I've really felt like God has said something through me, and and as I was speaking it, there was nothing. And I don't even know how to describe this. I, uh, I give this example sometimes. I was in Senegal, and uh, it was the first time we were there. And I was standing over this old, just, dilapidated half-built church frame and the cow in there and, and there's weeds growing up in it and it's rotting away and I began to prophesy and I'm looking around me I'm like is there anything here there's nothing here and as I began to prophesy I was prophesying a building and a finished church and meeting inside that church and how it was going to be tiled or whatever was going to happen, and it'd be, we'd be in that church and they'd be in that church in a year. When that thing had been sitting there as a frame for 20 years, nothing had happened in 20 years. And as that word came forth, all of a sudden, in, in what, what appeared in front of me and what I could see was a finished building with a roof on it and windows And no cows and people meeting on the inside. But that didn't exist until it was spoken. Now, I don't know how else to explain that. But that's the kind of power there is in God's Word. It doesn't exist with the false prophet. Because the false prophet talks, talks, talks. It doesn't mean anything. It's just air. It's empty. And so Michael was making a declaration. He was saying that he's not empty. He's full. I'm full. And and the idea of brave, being brave is... And you start throwing some words out. Maybe one of these words will click with you. But courage or constancy or resolution or, or, or boldness. I mean, th- those are all those ideas of being brave. And it takes a certain amount of bravery to speak when nobody wants to hear it. It takes a certain amount of bravery to say something nobody else is saying. It takes a certain amount of bravery to to speak something that doesn't exist and see it as it does when nobody else can see it. There's a certain amount of bravery to that. And that comes from God. And and that's what Micah was declaring. He said, God makes me brave. Because Micah in and of himself wasn't brave. He, He didn't have it. He didn't have that in him. But God makes him brave. God makes him fearless. God brings a contrast between him and the other prophets. God fills him up. They're empty. God gives him the words. God fills him with the Spirit. God gives him the prophetic word. I mean, the bravery part of this is super important. Because if you're going to live in fear, you're going to be ineffectual for the kingdom. That's it. I wish I could say, oh, it'll work out. It's not going to work out. If you live in fear, it's not going to work out. You're not going to be any good to the kingdom of God. We need an infusion of bravery in our life to be effective for the kingdom. That's how the war is won. Somebody look at uh, Acts two four. I got a few verses here. Acts two four. The Spirit enabled them. Yeah, you see how the Spirit filled them up, and then they began to speak as the Spirit enabled them. That's how it works. These are guys that had no formal training. These are people that had no formal education. These are people that had been hiding. These are people that had been afraid. These are people that had been timid. These are people that had watched their leader arrested, crucified. he had been tortured. And they've seen all of this happen and all of a sudden they get filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden they're brave. And they begin to speak. They begin to go and to utter as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And they left that building, they went out, and they made a difference. They were publicly known. And you know what happened when they went out there? People were amazed. Some people were amazed. They heard them speaking in their own languages. And then some people just said they were drunk. Opinions vary. But they were brave. Not everybody thought they were awesome. If somebody thinks you're drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, they just think you're a drunk. <laughs> Opinions vary. And not everyone's going to agree. Not everyone's going to think you're the best. Not going to think you're the greatest. Not everyone's going to think that, that, that you are the holiest of holy. Nope. Some people are just going to think you're drunk. Huh? Guess they didn't care. You see, because they were brave. They're doing what they're supposed to do, doing what God told them. They're filled with the Spirit of God. God made them brave. Let's look at Second uh, Corinthians ten five. We got a job to do. We got some work to do here. You can't do this if you're timid. Second Corinthians ten five. 2 10 Corinthians 10.5. 10, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Jesus. We got her All right. <laughs> we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right. Now, read what he said there. We demolish, right? And, and you look at what he says. that Those are aggressive actions. We use these verses in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to talk about what we call quote-unquote spiritual warfare. Well, there ain't no warfare won by people that are scared. all right? It doesn't happen that way. And if they are scared, they're going to have to overcome that fear in order to get to work. God makes you brave. God makes you brave. It's going to take the brave to do what God's called us to do. If we're going to start demolishing stuff, we're going to start tearing down stuff, what that's talking about. If we're going to to start coming against powers and principalities, you're going to wrestle powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places? You're going to wrestle that? You're going to need a little bravery to do that. It's easier to just try to hide. But we're not called to hide. We're not called to, to run in fear. We're not called to 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 somehow, you know, try to stay out of the fray. We're called into the fray. It's part of our job. God makes you brave. God fills you with the Spirit. God puts His prophetic Word in you. You want to start wrestling against the powers and the principalities, spiritual weakness high place? You look at how Jesus, how He wrestled against the devil when He was tempted in the wilderness? He began to quote the Word of God at Him. That's how we're going to do it. It takes a boldness to do that. I'm going to stand up to you. I'm going to stand up to your lies. I'm going to stand up to your pretensions. I'm going to stand up to the fear that you're trying to put in my heart. And I'm going to wrestle you with the Word of God that's in me. See what happens. Somebody else. Ephesians chapter 6. Got a few more verses. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. Pray also to me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, I am an ambassador and chain. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, that's Paul speaking. And what's he asking here? I mean, do you hear what he's saying? Like I I just wanna I, I really wanted this verse so you know I'm not making this up, okay? How is he gonna proclaim what God's called him to proclaim? The only way he's gonna do it is if it's fearless. In other words, he cannot operate effectively in what God had called him to do in fear, and neither can you. I mean, the Apostle Paul knew his stuff. He knew what he was saying. He had been in synagogues. He knew what needed to be said. He knew how. But he also knew he needed to be brave in doing it. And so he asked the people, he said, all right, pray for me. Send Ephesian church. Ephesian church, pray for me so I can do this with bravery, without fear, that I can proclaim what God has called me to proclaim, because that's how it has to be done. If we're going to be effective at it, if we're going to do it with anything that's going to matter, it's going to be done without fear. And that's why I was asking for the church to pray for him. Because could he be subject to that? Sure he could. Was he vulnerable to it? Sure. Are we vulnerable to it? Sure. But just recognizing that ain't going to get it done is step one. Step two, we need to let God fill us with bravery. God, make me brave. God, make me brave. Make me fearless. Let me proclaim your word. Let me proclaim your gospel without fear in my life. Ask somebody to pray for you. you need to pray for me that I would do this without fear? I, don't want to, I want to be brave in what God's called me to. God makes me brave. Somebody else go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, This want to read verse 18. and Then read verse 31. Yeah. You see how were they preaching boldness? Yeah, with boldness. And and what I want you to, to understand from this is that, number one, we need to make a couple of declarations, and I'm going to get to this in a second. Our first declaration is the Spirit of God fills me. The Spirit of God equips me. The Spirit of God puts His prophetic word in me. The Spirit of God makes me brave. And then what does Micah say? He says, now, now, after those declarations, Now I will speak. In other words, he declares his own commission from God. Now I'll speak. He's filled me. I like that. He's equipped me. He's put his prophetic word in me. He's made me brave. Now I'll speak. Now. And so he declares his commission from God. And we go back to the the old thing I always talk about, that we hear God. Well, good, then you need to do something about it. You need to hear God and do something about it. In Micah's case, you need to hear God and then you need to speak and you need to prophesy That's what God called him to do. And by prophesying, I could mean prophecy, I could mean preaching, I could mean teaching. I could mean encouraging. I could mean exhorting. I could mean correcting. Because that's all included in that. And Micah was called to bring about change around him. And he was going to bring about that change through the prophetic word. And so he needed to hear what God was saying, but then he needed to go out and he needed to do something about it. He needed to speak it in whatever form that was going to take. And Sometimes that means reproving. In other words, it's saying, okay, well, looking at it differently or correcting or just plain up saying something's wrong. Because reproof is okay. And and what that contrasts with is flattery. And, and flattery really isn't the job of the prophet. That isn't the work of the prophetic word. I haven't known too many prophets in my life that were true functioning prophets that were very flattering. Because most of the time when I run into people that move in prophecy or they function as a prophet within the church, they're fairly direct, straightforward, and sometimes bordering on a little bit rude. Yep. Yeah. That's why they don't always make good pastors. <laughs> because the the sometimes a direct approach doesn't work well in the church. Like on the everyday things of church stuff. But it does work well to bring some order. And it does work well to bring some change. It does work well to bring correction. It does work well to bring a freedom and a liberty that only the truth can bring. And so as God has raised us up as a people, a prophetic people, I think sometimes it's important to look at what that really means, and what that should be looking like through our lives, and so I hope that Micah speaks to you because as Michael speaks to Micah excuse me speaks to us, I think the New Testament you look at the the New Testament church, well, they understood what I'm talking about what Micah was talking about. And I think we need to get a hold of it too. I think we've been timid. I think that we've been taught to be fearful. And we've forgotten how to be brave. And I just really believe that God has something more for us. A better role in the world that we live in than that which we are taking right now. And so I want to encourage you that. let take a few moments and pray and respond. I want to encourage you, I'm going to try to make a few declarations here, ones that we've made already, that I've talked about tonight. But yeah, right where you're sitting, and you can do this in your spirit, however you want to do it, but to, to make a declaration over your life, to make a declaration of of who you are and of what God is saying and what God is doing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just the examples we have through the scriptures of men and women, people who just got a hold of who they were in you and lived it that they weren't depending on somebody telling them what that's supposed to be or, or proving of it or whatever else, but they just got a hold of you and they went with it. And so God, tonight I pray that as a generation, a prophetic generation, that you'd, you'd really help us to get a hold of who we are, who I am in Jesus. So we just begin to make some declarations tonight that the Spirit of God fills me. That's a declaration. The Spirit of God fills me. That he equips me and that he puts his prophetic word in me. I thank you, God. We make a declaration that God, you make me brave. You make me brave. That's what you do. That you give me a fearlessness. That you fill me up. That you put my life in contrast with all the emptiness that's around me. A courage, a resolution, and a boldness in my life. You make me brave. Tonight, God, we declare our commission that you send us, and now we speak. We declare it. We declare it. We hear you, and then we do something about it. So God, tonight, I, I just ask that we take hold of truth, your truth, the truth, the only truth. Would allow your truth, not only in us, but through us, and to come forth in the prophetic word, through us. give you thanks. We give you thanks. I pray a clarity of thought. I pray a resolution in our heart, in our mind. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah.